After uh, finishing 1 Kings last week, we are in 2 Kings chapter 1, which is just after 1 Kings. That's free. So, and as we travel into 2 Kings, we'll see uh, some good kings, more bad kings, and a new prophet comes on the scene, even though he's been introduced in the book of 1 Kings. Verse 1, Moab, and I want you to see this, that Moab was under... Israel control ever since the times of David and is located east of Israel. But notice Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And it's kind of sad because all of a sudden you see a decline within the power that Israel had over the surrounding regions and surrounding areas. And, you know, they're starting to lose that. And the reason they're losing that is because they're no longer walking with God. Now, Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, go inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. I mean, so just that whole thought is pretty sad. So you have this guy climbing on lattice. Now just picture lattice. If you don't know what lattice is, go down to Home Depot and look at lattice. I'm sure it's something like that. So you got this guy either climbing on it if it's flat or leaning up against it if it's vertical. Either way, it's not real smart, smart to be doing in any direction. And then you have him sending his servants to go inquire from the Lord of the Flies as to whether or not he will recover. I'm not real sure there's a lot of smart in that either, but that's who Baal Zebub is, the fly god. You'd pray to him and the flies would leave. So let's just call him what he is. He's the fly god who tells you, Again, like so many of these false gods, they tell you what you want to hear. Oh, you're going to recover? What happens if he doesn't? Who's going to hold him accountable? Hey, who's going to get the glory if they do recover? Oh, the fly god. So, I mean, it's a great, you know, that, oh, okay, I'm going to recover. Hey, did he recover? No, was he probably, you know, it's like, it's a great system. So you got to be pretty lost to be a king of Israel to go ask the fly god for answers. And this man was. I mean, this this is one of Ahab's sons. And he shows his true colors with who this king of Israel has allegiance with. And it's not with Yahweh, but the fly god. But God's not going to let it sit like that. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messenger of, of the king of Samaria, which is Samaria is the headquarters for the northern tribes, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel? that you're going to inquire of Baal Zebub, the god of Ekron? Apparently, Azariah believes the god of Israel is of new, no use to him, or worse yet, that he is dead. At least he lived his life that way. No use checking in, because that god doesn't do anything. But God's going to correct him in all of that thinking right here. And so he sends Elijah and and so he tells him, now, therefore, thus says the Lord, as Elijah speaks to these men, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. And so this guy is really reaping what he's sowing. He wasn't interested in seeking or getting help from God. So God's not going to help him. Hey, just go tell him he's going to die. And But that's what he wanted. He doesn't want help from God. And so God's not going to help him. But please notice that the one true God does speak truth to him. He doesn't lie to him. No, you shall surely die. Now, if you knew about the God of Israel, 
I mean, you you obviously know him to some degree. He does. We'll see this because he knows who Elijah is. And you were told that you would sure, you were surely going to die. I mean, wouldn't you like grab some humility, maybe a little repentance, like they do in Nineveh today when Jonah goes there? I mean, the whole 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 the whole country repented, even though they didn't have anything to do with God at the time. I would think that this man who was just told he has a death sentence on his life might, you know, maybe repent a little bit. Even though man may not be interested in pursuing God, please notice God is still pursuing man. It's a great picture. Great picture to the believer that should comfort you. This man has no desire to seek God or listen to God or respond to God, but God is still coming after him. To the believer, that's a great comfort. To the non-believer, that should frighten you that God is, has an account of your life, all of it here. And so the messengers returned to him because Elijah was a man under God's power and control. And as he spoke, these messengers, they knew it was the voice of God. So the king said to him, hey, how, how come you've come back so quickly? And they said to him, hey, a man came up to meet us and said to us, go, return to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, and that's the Lord Yahweh, when it's capital L-O-R-D like that. Thus says the Lord God Almighty, is it because there is no God in Israel that you're sending him to inquire of the fly God? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Then he said to them, what kind of a man was it who came up to meet you and told you these words? What did he look like? Check out the description. So they answered him. He was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. And he said, because he knows who it is. So he's had a run in with him before. It is Elijah the Tishbite. So he's a man's man, a hairy man wearing a jock is how John Corson describes this man. And I mean, that was like years ago he said that, you know, it's kind of the trendy look back then. The prophets had a rough message at times and at times they had a look to go with it. And, I, and a very similar look to John the Baptist, or should I really say John the Baptist is copying uh, Elijah's look here. Obviously, Isaiah has had a run-in with Elijah before because he knows exactly who he is by this rough description. And so, so the king sent to him a present, a captain of 50 with his 50 men. So 50 plus one is 51, I think. And, and they're going to just go capture one man. I mean, no big deal. So this captain went up to him and there he was sitting on the top of a hill minding his own business. And the captain spoke to him, man of God, take notice of that. The king has said, come down. So please observe how a man of earthly authority approaches God's servant. First of all, he acknowledges, acknowledges he's one of God's men because look what he calls him, man of God. So he knows that. But then he's ordering him to come. And you and I, we all know, we are to obey and respect the governing authority and no authority exists except that, except that which is appointed by God. But we also know when man's law contradicts God's law, we got to say no or rebel or ignore. And then, of course, suffer the consequences of man if there aren't any, because God's law trumps man's law every single time. And so he, he recognizes he's a man of God. But it's like God's not telling him to go, so he's not going. 
Actually, he's going to leave it up to God. When the officer called him man of God, the officer should have stood down if he was a follower of God. The soldiers that were with them should have stand down if they were followers of God as well. But see, they're all coming from the north. They're all following the fly gods, the gods of Jeroboam, the golden cows, all the nonsense that they have going up there. And since they just want to go with the flow, even though the flow's heading downstream to the sewer factory, they're all flowing the same way. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, because that's what he called them. Then let's leave this up to God. Then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. So we'll just throw it to a test. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, I don't know if he was standing alone. So there's a little pile of ashes over here. There's a bigger pile of ashes at the bottom of the hill. I don't know really know how that's played out, but there's piles. And I guess it would be safe to say that Elijah was a man of God. Plus, you would have a hard time explaining that away by saying the Lord God of Israel is dead after the fire just comes down and consumes 51 of your men. Then he, King Ahaziah, Ahab's son, sent to him another captain of 50 with his 50 men. The man's a rather slow learner. And so as this captain co comes, he no doubt observes a burn pile at the base of the hill. And he answered and said to him, man of God. So he acknowledges who he is again. See, the world should acknowledge who you are. They don't have to believe us. Okay? They don't have to agree with us, but they should acknowledge who we are. We should have an outward witness that testifies to that. We should. And he, I mean, they do. Hey, man of God, he recognizes it. Thus says the, thus has the king said, come down quickly. Ooh, he added the word quickly there. The king has said, and you've got to act quickly now. Again, observe how a man of authority approaches God's servant. He comes, he's ordering, he's bossing. But, but again, I don't have to respond to man's thing if it's going to cause me to break God's law. So Elijah answered and said to him, just like last time, hey, something's going to come down, either me or fire. If I'm a man of God, let, us, let God decide. Let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And sure enough, the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50 I guess it'd be safe to say that Elijah truly was a man of God. And again, he sent a third captain of 50 with his 50 men. Word's got to be traveling through the ranks by this time. And the third captain of 50 went up as he looked around at all the burn piles. You've got two or four. You've got two captains. Or if they stand out, go up. No, others stay at the bottom of the hill. You've got burn piles all over the place. And as he looked around at the burn piles, he came and fell on his knees before Elijah and pleaded with them and said to him, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So word's getting around town. How come captains and their men are going out, but they're not coming back? I wonder if Captain Number Two heard what Captain what happened to Captain Number One and just kind of blew him off. Captain Three has definitely heard. And as you think about our present world today in our country, we have some like Captain One and Two in our in our country, but we also have some like Captain Three here. Where you go out to other parts of the world, most of what they have is like Captains One and Two. They don't have anybody Captain and Three towards true believers. You go out to a lot of these other places in the world, they don't have, want anything to do with Christians. <laughs> 
we still have some Captain 3s that recognize the value of godly people in our country. Verse 14, look, fires come down from heaven and burned up the first two captains of 50s with their 50s, but let my life now be precious in your sight. Notice there's no ordering. Hasn't said anything. All he's doing is pleading with his life. Hasn't ordered him nothing. And the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king. So what's different about this approach in comparison to the previous two others? I mean, obviously, it's he's humble, he's merciful. The guy's saying, please, don't give me what I deserve. I'm a family man. The men that are with me have children. Don't give us what we deserve. Also in this scene is God's hand of protection over his people. Where the angel of the Lord says to him, don't be afraid of this captain, Elijah, go down with him. Almost like go down with him, he's going to protect you. We also see a great picture of faith and obedience and action on Elijah's part to follow through with the commands of God. See, it's one thing to know the commands of God. It's totally another thing to follow through on the commands of God. I'd imagine a lot of people in the church know, know and have been and heard commands of God, but they have no desire to walk them out. But it's one th it's not enough to know them, man. you got to do them. And that, Elijah hears, and so he goes, even though he knows this king hated him. He's going to go. He's going to step into the lion's den. Why? Because God has told him to go. And it's not that God was not going to send his man. God just wanted these up north to know that he's still in charge, that he's still alive. And the king's not in charge. And so obviously the, the Lord has this king's attention. Then he said to him in verse 16, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Baals above the God of Ekron, the fly God, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? It's the same exact words he had spoken to the first two captains. Therefore, you, sh you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Now, it's so critical in this day and age that we all be people who speak biblical truth. We don't have to be biblical scholars to speak biblical truth. We teach, you use, you read at home in your intimate times with Jesus. He speaks, we use. And that would be speak whatever he leads us to, just like Elijah here. So Elijah speaks to the king. Because you went to the fly God and not to the true God, you're not going to recover. And again, why doesn't he, he repent? Certainly he's heard the stories. I guess if you wanted to live, you would repent if you don't. But since he didn't, God's going to judge him for the idolatry. It's going to cost him his life. But it didn't have to be that way. God, I think God is always into repentance. You read it through the Old Testament. When, when, they, when they humbled themselves, even a wicked king like we saw Ahab one time, with Manasseh one time, as we go through here, wicked, 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 repent. God honors that. Wicked, wicked, wicked. They go right back to their own thing. God always honors that. Don't ever think you can't. Verse 17. So Ahaziah, the only time you can't is when you say, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And you never turn back from that. Yeah, there is no repentance until you turn back to Jesus. But everything else, turn back, turn back. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah has spoken. At least we all know his word is true. 
Because he had no son, Jerome, so it becomes his brother, another son of Ahab, became king in his place. And again, this is the king of the ten northern tribes. In the second year of Jerome, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And that's of the bottom two tribes. So, confused over names yet? You should be, because they're both exactly the same name. Both are kings, but in different geographical locations. Right now, you have the same name, same time, different kingdoms. One is the king of, the, of Judah, and the other is the king of Israel. If you keep track of just their locations, you'll be able to keep, them, keep track of them. Jehoshaphat is Judah, lower two, Ahab, Israel, upper ten. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahaziah, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? of the kings of Israel. And we looked at some of those great works of his last week. And that's uh, rather sarcastically I add there. Chapter 2. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Now, really, Elijah has a pretty short ministry on this earth, if you think about it. But he's coming back, and obviously you have a lot more of it. Um, we don't really read of a lot of things that he does. I mean, God's taken him up. We saw him, I think it was in chapter 16. He showed up a couple places. So it seems that like there was a prophecy or something that people knew or many people knew that Elijah was on his way out to heaven. It seems that all these words on the street, Elijah's going to heaven today. And how does Elijah go to heaven? How does it read in your Bible? By a whirlwind. Maybe you've heard people say he goes up in a chariot, but that's only because they've heard other people say he goes up in a chariot or other people have taught he goes up in a chariot. And so they picked it up and then they proclaimed he goes up in a chariot. Maybe you came in and I go, no, he went up in a chariot. But you go, oh, no, he goes up in a whirlwind. But you're still thinking, no, he goes up in a chariot. No, you believe that because you heard somebody else say that or teach that. And he never went back to verify that. And on and on it goes. And now... Not that it's a big thing, but as followers of Jesus in the last days, we need to check everything. We need to be Bereans and search the scriptures to see if what we're hearing is true and not just believe it because someone said it. Because by the time we get done, we're going to discover the chariot separates the two and he goes up in a whirlwind, just like verse 1 says, chapter, verse 2. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And I wonder if Elijah is testing him here. Because he, he, he's going to say that this whole chapter. Hey, I want you to stay here. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Think of Elijah as the mentor, the disciple maker of Elisha. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master Elijah from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. So how does everybody know? Well, I think the simple answer is same God, same message. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. Again, I wonder if he's testing them again. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. Same line, different place, different prophets. And the same answers from Elijah. 
But Elisha is on Elijah like a hound dog is with his handler. He's not going to depart from him. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up and struck the water. You know, it'd be like a, maybe we'd call it a scarf today. Rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that. So the two of them crossed over on dry ground, joining with Moses and Joshua as other water dividers. And before the chapter's out, Elisha will also be a water divider as well. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, blank check coming up, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Just think about what would, what would you ask for? Elisha said, please let a double dose of the Holy Ghost be upon me. That's really what he's asking for. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's the right thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so, as Elisha now ties himself to Elijah, or at least puts him on one of those little dog leashes that has, gives him a little latitude. Like, you get no more than 25 feet away from me. I mean, I would. The stakes are too high to stumble and fall and miss out somehow like you don't see. But what would you ask for? Elisha, because alphabetically his name comes after Elijah. That's the only way I can keep track of him. Elijah comes first and Elisha. So they're in alphabetical order. Ask of Elijah for a double portion of the Spirit of God that was upon him. And this is a wise choice for a man who's going to be a prophet to four nations for over 50 years. Of course, he doesn't know that. But his ministry is going to span about 50 years. And he had seen how God was with Elijah. And he knew if he was going to have any type of ministry or impact or influence on this world, a double dose of the Holy Ghost was absolutely necessary for him. Something that is available to you and I every single day, multiple times a day, if we'll but ask. Luke 9.23. No. Yes. Mm. No, it's not. What, what verse is it? Uh, I think it's Matthew. No, it's not Matthew. That's ask of good gifts. Is Luke 9.23 deny yourself? Yeah. Um, hmm. Who's going to help me out here? What? Huh? Good question. Uh, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's not Luke 9? It's in Luke. I know it is. Luke 13? What's tw is 9.23, deny yourself because of God's following me? Okay, what's 13? Look for the section where it says, ask, seek, and knock. I'm going to get my phone and beat you to it. No, that's he's only that's when he says give good gifts to him. What's the, what's the uh, cross-reference there? There's a cross reference with that. Luke 11, 13. Luke 11, 13. Okay, I was off a couple. Luke 11, 13. That's what it says. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That is an unlimited blank check. 
We don't have to see Elijah go up into heaven for that. We just have to see Jesus in our hearts for that and be weak, not be strong. A strong person will never ask for a double dose of the Holy Ghost to be poured out on them every day. And if they do ask, not much is going to happen because the cup is full of themselves. God's going to ha- God's going to do it because Jesus says ask. So God's going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But if the cup is full of you, it ain't going to get much. There's not going to be much of the Holy Ghost there. But if if you is empty of you, if you deny yourself, pick up your cross and ask. It's there, just like it's going to be for Elisha. It's critical. It's beyond critical in our life. So this is this is the picture of what it's going to look like. So every time we see Elisha, it's like, oh, this is what's available to us, a double dose of the Holy Ghost, because that's what he's asking for, a double portion of what Elijah has. Then it happened, verse 11, as they continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by what? A whirlwind into heaven. So it's easy to see why people think chariot of fire, you know, because you think chariots do what? Carry people. Whirlwinds carry dirt. (laughs) Not here. Not here. So they're walking and talking, a disciple walking and talking with his disciple, and bam, he's coming. It's easy to see why I guess some would think he went up in the chariot, but when you study to show yourself approved a workman or a workwoman who can rightly divide the word of truth, you see, no, no, no. The chariot was clearly used to divide Elisha from Elijah, and very clearly this reads, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. I'm studying even the heading right next to that verse. What does it say? It says, He went up in a chariot. A chariot of fire takes Elijah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, hey, so last Sunday, don't trust man in their headings. Or was it last week, last Wednesday? I forget what it was. Don't, they're there. You can't, man put them in. It's not, they're not inspired. Interesting. Is that a New King James Bible too? And he is. Oh. They, they do. <laughs> hey, if you remember when uh, Elijah was on the road, remember when he was running for his life? You know, because of Jezebel's threats. Remember he, he, he does the big altar thing and, and, the 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 the, the um, those who worship Baal are cutting themselves and calling down fire from Baal and nothing happens to their piece of meat except to get stinky as it sits there in the hot open sun, and then Elijah does his thing and boom God brings fire down and and then they kill the 450 prophets of Baal and Jezebel says to to Elijah hey may the gods do so to more so to me than you or something like that if you're not dead by tomorrow. So he takes off running. Remember that? We'll, we'll look back in 1 Kings 19.4. Just, th- this is part of his run here. 1 Kings 19.4. Look at what he prayed. And he prayed that he might what? That he might die. And said, it is enough, Lord, I can't take anymore. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay. Now, back where we are. You want to go a whirlwind alive into heaven or dead in the desert and be buzzard food? I am glad that God knows best and doesn't answer our silly prayers sometimes. Because that, that, this is the picture of it. You Look, you want to go this way? You know, and I guess if you were stubborn enough, you could have got that way. 
even though God showed up and said, no, 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 get back there, get back there. He could have stayed out there and I guess died. But God had a way better plan than that. Verse 12, and Elisha saw it, which is a good thing for him. I mean, that that's what Elijah told him. If you see me depart, your hard will, request will be answered. And so he saw what happened. He cried out, my father, my father, because he was like a mentor to him. The chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. There's a picture of mourning here with the tearing of his clothes. It's not exactly the look of a man that just inherited a double dose of the Holy Ghost, but he's, he's only doing it because he's looking at what he lost. When people are taken, it's never what the other person gained. It's always what the person left behind it loses. That's why he's doing this. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. It's really critical here. Please notice he had to pick it up. Got to pick it up. God calls. God delivers. But team, you have to pick it up and accept the responsibility that comes with it. It's not enough to know what God wants me to do. No, you got to pick it up. And you got to do it. He, he could have known all about the mantle there and just stood there and know all about the promises. But you got to pick it up. You got to pick it up. I'd imagine there's a lot of people in the church that know what they need to do. They just don't pick it up. you got to pick it up. But when you pick it up, of course, there's responsibility that comes with that. And that's what people don't have. Well, if I pick it up, now I'm responsible. No, you're responsible because God spoke to you. you got to pick it up. Because if you know what you should do and stare at it and not pick it up, it just makes you disobedient. Even though you may not pick it up, you're still disobedient. And so he picks it up. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? As he realized this, the power is not in the mantle, but in the, his relationship with God. And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over the same way Elijah had earlier, the same way Joshua and Moses had it well, has, a, has it well as well thus proving to him that God did indeed empower him with the double dose of the Holy Ghost. But you know what? It took faith to strike the water, not feelings. Because he may not be feeling it right, right now. I mean, as I look at this, Elisha did not feel anything great when Elijah was taken away. He felt robbed. And when he picked up the mantle, maybe he didn't feel anything at that moment. I don't believe he's feeling it when he's walking up to the water's edge, slapping the water with the mantle, saying, where is the Lord God of Elijah? But you know what? He slaps the water. He's obedient, even if he doesn't feel like it. He gets out of the boat and he goes for it. And when he slaps the water, and when he also struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Kind of brings a whole new meaning to walking in the Spirit, doesn't it? I mean, this is it. It's a great picture of it. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. That's because they saw him, capital him, in Elisha's life. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Because they had a, like a prophet school of some sort going on back then. We'll see it as we go through here. 
Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. This is classic. You just see a great miracle. I mean, the way I read this, these 50 guys saw him go up in the, Elijah go up in the whirlwind. They saw the chariot. They saw all that. And so they said to him, look, Elisha, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of God has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. Look back at verse 5. These same prophets had spoken to Elisha hours earlier, it seems. Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Obviously, takeaway has a little different meaning to them now that the whirlwind has taken Elijah away. Or maybe they uh, never heard that Elijah was going to heaven like we read up in verse 1. But look at their crazy thinking here. Maybe God transported him to a mountaintop or a valley somewhere. And maybe the thought is, hey, maybe he's laying out somewhere wounded. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. It's funny. We see the same imagery as we've been going through the book of Revelation, though where John is moved in and out by the Spirit. He's there, and the Spirit moves him. So we see it with Philip. Philip's preaching to the eunuch in the waters, and when he comes up out of the water, the Spirit catches him away to Azotus some 20 miles away. Man, I'd love to fly to Philippines that way. <laughs> yeah, are we ready for takeoff? Oh, no, you're already there. <laughs> Here's a refund of your ticket. Verse 16, But when they urged him till he was ashamed... I don't know what he'd be ashamed of, like, I hate to be wrong, or I'm looking like I don't care what others are saying, or what some other answer. But he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days, but did not find Elijah. Yeah, because he's up in heaven. And then when they came back to him, this is so class. This is classic church talk right here. This is how it all happens. Trust me, I've been in a lot of times. So, so they beg to do this thing. They go and do it. And when they come, came back to him, for he, he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, said to Elisha totally forgetting slash ignoring and or bypassing his question to them, Hey, please notice the situation of this city. Classic church talk right there. No, we're not even going to ignore that. Hey, didn't we tell you you shouldn't go down there and do a church down there? And then all of a sudden they come. That's the greatest church plant. You know, it's like, ah, this is how church people are. So don't be like them. You know, he said, don't go. At least take ownership of it. Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't have went. How silly of us. No, totally ignore it. Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. We're going to change this up. But the water is bad and the ground is barren. And the ground is bad because the water supply is bad. So the can't grow crops. He said, bring me a, a new bowl and put salt in it. Please don't try this unless you know the Lord's calling you to do this because it's not going to be the salt that makes it happen. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, and this is a key here, thus says the Lord, I've healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. So please notice, it wasn't the salt that healed the water. Just like it's not the salt or the magic bread or the miracle water or any of this other nonsense 
that's in hyper-Pentecostalism today, or even some of the miracle water in the Catholic Church. It, it, it has nothing to do with those things. It wasn't the, the, the salt that healed the water. No, it was, thus saith the Lord. That's what brought about the healing. He, he knew what God told him to do, so he went out and did it. You know, I went to one of those hyped-up shows in Santa Barbara where the magical bread was the talk of the night. But the guy was mistaken. It wasn't the bread that was going to change people. It was thus saith the Lord. But if he used just that, we'd find him out that he was a false prophet. Of course, we already knew he was, but all the people, you know, there's thousands of people out there. They thought he was a real deal. But his, and his magical bread was just a, his way of escape, even though it, he had no power. There was no bread, no power in the bread, and he had no Jesus to get it all done. So it's crazy. Now, if you're losing your waves on top, and the beach is starting to creep in more and more, you'll figure out what I'm talking about here in a second. Then you'll like this last, last section. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some youths, came from the city and mocked him. Now, they could be teeny boppers, but they don't have to be. This word for youth here is also used for Joseph when he was in prison uh, just hours before he's let out. He was 37 years old when he got out. Same word for the two young men that spied out Jericho and Rahab protected them. I really doubt that Joshua sent out a couple of teenagers, but he could have. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, I really doubt he was a teeny bopper, but he could have been. Same word. Jonathan, Saul's son and David's friend, said to the young man who bore his armor, you know, are you letting a teenager bear your armor? I'm not, unless you were some crazy person like I was. Then you can hand him a hatchet, a framing hatchet, and he'd probably do okay. Then Elisha went up from there to Bethel. Please keep in mind that Bethel is one of two places where Jeroboam set up his golden cows. So probably not a very friendly place to the truth. But also, please notice, not a place that was going to scare Elisha off either. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city, the city of Bethel, I presumed, and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you man who's losing the uh, forest on the front where the beach is creeping in. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. That's their words, not mine. Now, this is not sticks and stones will break my bones, but you say something about my bald head, you're getting bears. That's not what's going on here. Underline the words, go up, go up. What these young men are mocking about this bald head is, he's either A, going up to the place of authority that Elijah possessed, or they're saying, go up to, he to the heavens where Elijah just went. E either way, they don't want him around. You know, they just called him bald head, but it's, there's more at play here than the bald head. They don't want him. They're mocking him about his relationship with God and a side order of his bald head. And so he turned around, all bald head and all, and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And so again, he leaves it up to the Lord to do what he wants to do here. And the Lord did. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. So Elijah gave him some love. In the name of the Lord, of course. If God wanted to, he could. Elijah left it up to him. And, I, and I'm sure these 42 boys remembered that lesson all of their lives, whether or not it changed them in any way. But it's 
pretty graphic. These two bears came down and cut them in pieces because that's what the word mauled means here, to break open or to rend open, which means rip. Plus, the group of men could have been larger than 42. This just reads 42 of them were mauled. They, they could have been hundreds. Maybe not all of them were mauled, but, the, but they scattered, and the bears got 42 of them. And as I read this, I'm not sure if Elisha made it to Bethel that day. For this reads, then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. And Samaria is not a friendly place either. Samaria is the capital of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And so Elisha is starting to make the rounds, seeking to re represent the Lord God of heaven and earth to his chosen people. Even though some of them, or actually many of them up north, they don't want them around. But it's not stopping them. See, you can't shriek back from what people don't like about you as a believer. He's not. I mean, Samaria would be like literally walking into the, to the devil's den. But he goes, even though they don't want him around. And there's some great lessons that are going to be learned from Elisha's life. So my encouragement to you is read ahead each week. Look for him. Watch him encounter and interact with people who are not interested in his God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's great lessons to learn from him even as there's great lessons to learn from both of them tonight. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. And Lord, we, we ask that you would allow your word to find good soil within our hearts.